Hey, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 15, among other places tonight, as we finish up our series on heaven. Um, Next week, we kick off our series called We Three Kings, which is not about the three kings that you sing about, but it is about the three most famous kings from Israel's history, Saul, David, and Solomon, and how each of them, in their own failures, point us to the king that we really need, who is Jesus. And so we'll look at Jesus as our king on December 18th for our Christmas candlelight service, which again, I want to invite you back to. Um, And then when we turn the page into the new year, January 15th begins our six months in the book of John. And uh, that'll be a lot of fun. Um, This series on heaven face-to-face has been uh, pretty deeply theological, uh, and so has a lot of the series through Exodus Um, all the way back to Ephesians last fall. And I think when we get to Jesus uh, this spring, it's going to make this framework that we've built theologically all come together, not around another concept, but around a person in a pretty powerful way as we look at who Jesus is. And I'm excited about that. Um, And I'm excited about this. So let's pray and we're going to jump in. Father, where the nature of the Lord is spoken of, there he there Jesus is present. And so we ask that your spirit would point us to your son in this dance of father, son, spirit, this trinity, Lord, that you invite us into your own life, uh, surrounding us with yourself. Help us to see you clearly and to long for a future that lasts forever with you and those we love. Um, Open our eyes that we may see, quicken our hands that we may do your work. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning at the Grace Campus, a lot of you know that we're kind of a multi-church movement and we just happen to be one part of that. But this Sunday at the Grace Campus, we celebrated 50 years in their sanctuary. That church is over 100 years old, uh, over 105 years old, but we've been worshiping in that particular sanctuary for 50 years. And today I preached a sermon there that you're not going to hear now, but it was a sermon about how do we look at our past and what is Jesus calling us to be in the future? And as I was preparing our sermons tonight, again, this is like exclusive content just to regen, so get excited. And uh, I began to think about this this question. We're two years old as a church. What do we want to look like when we're 50? I will be 78 years old. Please, dear Jesus, let somebody else be preaching then. Um, but what legacy do we want to build into this community called Regen now? Because I guarantee you that the dye that we drip into the water now will color the river 50 years downstream. And so if we color it with bitterness and frustration or laziness or selfishness, we actually, there won't even be a river 50 years from now. But if, as Zach says, the most important person remains the person that's not in this room, And if our preferences are always on the back seat, uh, then we will find 50 years from now a growing, vibrant, multi-generational community that's reaching people for Jesus. And so as I've been thinking about where do we want to be in 50 years, part of this sermon answers that question um, as we think about heaven. And the sermon titles, which I never make a big deal out of, it was face-to-face with Jesus, face-to-face with those we love. Vanessa preached a great message last week, face-to-face with resurrection, and this one is called face-to-face with today. I want to return in this moment to those pictures that we started our series with. First, a submission to Post Secret, that community art project that I really like a lot, in which a person confesses, I secretly fear heaven will be boring. 
This is followed up by a far side cartoon by Gary Larson where you find a guy that's gone to heaven, has his halo and his wings, and he thinks to himself, I wish I'd brought a magazine. Listen, if you're new to the way of Jesus, and when we say things like the church is the forward embassy of, of heaven, that church is a taste of heaven, some of you are thinking, well, I have to kind of go there and listen to a person drone on for half an hour, sing songs, and I don't really sing in public unless I'm in my car, and then I'm blasting the radio so nobody can hear me. We eat bread, we drink juice, and we all go home. Most of us are thinking, yeah, heaven is going to be boring. And so I want to look at what scripture says about what we will actually be doing in heaven and we're going to do that by jumping all around the New Testament, which is why we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 15 for about 0.5 seconds. The rest of it's all going to be on the screen. We all wonder what heaven will be like. We all wonder what we're going to do there. And we all worry that we won't like it. And if we don't know what's going to go on in heaven, it's hard to long for it. It's hard to want it. It's hard to order your life and every decision you make around it. But if we grasp what scripture has to say about heaven as a good thing, and it does, and yet at the same time says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no heart can conceive that which God has prepared for those who love him. Uh, we only get a taste sample, like walking down Sam's Club and here have this one half of a half of a half of a half piece of sausage for lunch kind of taste. But if we begin to see Jesus as scripture wants, see heaven as scripture wants us to, what we find is that heaven is worth longing for. And the most important thing that we have said over and over and over again, and that not just us, scripture says over and over and over again about heaven, is that heaven is the place that we see Jesus face to face. Heaven is the place that we see Jesus face to face, and we have to long for heaven solely based on that. We had that really great John Piper quote that said something to the effect of, if heaven was all the people you ever loved and all the food you ever enjoyed and all the leisure activities that you ever had fun doing and there were no natural disasters and sickness or war or bad things, could you be satisfied with heaven if Christ was not there? And if you could be, what you're longing for isn't heaven. What you're longing for is some sort of narcissistic, vain, uh, self-planned vacation that lasts forever. But if you say, no, I need Jesus there, then actually what we're doing is longing for heaven. But even that idea that we'll get to see Jesus face to face, I mean, how long is that going to last? When I took a counseling class in my master's program, we had to do five minutes of silent, uninterrupted eye contact. You had to pick a partner, and we had five minutes of silent, uninterrupted eye contact. I was just in the spiritual formation program. If you were in the master's program, you began at five and ended with an hour. Guys, it's the most awkward thing that you could ever possibly imagine. Um, and, and then being in a program where people talk about their feelings all the time. That was my master's program. We just talked about our feelings. Uh, $16,000 later, later, people were like, people were like, I have never actually been seen before. And I was like, you just need to go home and eat something and take a nap. You know what I mean? You have people laughing and people weeping. And so we hear this idea, we're gonna see Jesus face to face. It starts to feel like this counseling class I was in. Okay, well, that's gonna be weird. So what happens after? What happens after we see Jesus face to face? Or at least what happens in addition to all of that is what we're gonna answer today. And I wanna look at four things that's going to happen in heaven. And the first thing that happens to us in heaven is something Vanessa hinted at, but I think bears repeating. In heaven, we receive new bodies. 
Contrary to your image of heaven or the precious moments dolls on your great-grandma's mantelpiece, you don't just become like a ghost. You don't get angel's wings or a halo. Uh, Halos, by the way, nothing biblical about them. Only thing that tells us that is Renaissance paintings. You will receive a new body. It'll be a body patterned after Jesus's body. When Jesus was raised from the dead, he was raised bodily. And so the disciples could touch him. Now, Jesus could also walk into a room without actually having to walk into a room. He could just appear. And so in some ways, he has a body like ours, only better. And in the same way, you will have a body like yours, only better. 1 Corinthians 15 is a favorite passage to preach at funerals. And Paul says, let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. We will not all die, but we will be transformed. It will happen in a moment, in the blink of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown. For when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to life forever. And we who are living will also be transformed. For our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. And our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. In heaven, our bodies are transformed. You will have a body. What does it look like? Vanessa delved into that. But at our core, we don't know. All we know is that we are given a physical body in which we dwell in the new heaven, in the new earth, forever with, with Jesus. And this is why heaven is ultimately a good thing, because we have grandparents and friends that are dying of sickness and disease. Just did a funeral for a guy, 38 years old, overdosed on heroin. Okay, talk about new body. If that person professed Christ, they get a new body. And so in heaven, you will live forever in a body. That's the first thing. The second thing is that in heaven, you will have work to do. In heaven, we don't just sit on a cloud. We don't just sing forever and ever, although singing and worship seem to be a part of it. I had a professor in college that said, heaven is a series of lectures interrupted by worship, which again, sounds boring, right? That all we would do is just like sit and learn and then sing. In heaven, we will have work to do, and that work will be worship-related. That work will be um, knowledge-growing-related because we will know as we are known. But contrary to this cartoon, we will have work to do. Revelation 20 says this. It says, blessed and holy are those who share on the first resurrection. For them, the second death holds no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him a thousand years. About a half a dozen times in the New Testament, it says that in heaven, we will reign with Christ. Now, my confusion about this is that rulers typically have a people over whom they rule. And so if we're all reigning with Christ, like, do I just get, like, do we all just pass that over? Then, you know, today you get to be the one that gets reigned over. But tomorrow, I mean, how does this work? Reigning has less to do with kingly duties, but actually connects with what happened for us in creation. In Genesis, God creates humankind in his own image, male and female, he creates them. And immediately after doing that, he says, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it. He says, reign over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and all the animals that scurry along in the ground. Ultimately, a royal identity, which is what it means to be created in God's image. It doesn't mean that you look like him. Dan's a good-looking guy, but he doesn't look anything like God, okay? Uh, you, you don't, we don't look like God. Bearing his image is a royal designation, and our royal work in the garden was to rule over the earth and subdue it. It was to cultivate and create. And in Andy Crouch's really important book called Culture Making, he says, our eternal life in God's recreated world will be the fulfillment of what God originally asked us to do. 
cultivating and creating a full and lasting relationship with our creator. This time, of course, we will not just be tending a garden, we will be sustaining the life of a city, a harmonious human society that has developed all the potentialities hidden in the original creation to their fullness. Culture, redeemed, transformed, and permeated by the presence of God will be the activity of eternity. In heaven, you will have a job. In heaven, we will make a society go as society was supposed to go and function forever. Now, a lot of us have really interesting jobs, like Taylor and Alex, for example, they're respiratory therapists. Well, if we all have new bodies and our lungs are fine, they're out of a job. If we all get new bodies, Zach's a trainer. Like, well, he doesn't need to like tell us how to work out our glorified bodies as far as we can tell. Dan and Caitlin are elementary school teachers. I don't think we need those in heaven. And yet scripture says we will have a job to do that is cultivating, creating, that's cultivating, creating, and expanding the kingdom. And this is good news because the work that we do in heaven is never dull, never meaningless, never feels like what it feels like when you're doing your taxes, and is only ever meaningful and engaging and life-giving. We'll talk about this again in a second. In heaven... The third thing is that we are reunited with those we love. See, this is me kind of like, I had an eight-week series, I only had four weeks to do it, so here's the last five weeks of the series. In heaven, we are reunited and reconciled with those we love and we don't love in, a, in this one single moment of being brought together. Revelation pictures heaven as a vast crowd, too great to count, with people from every nation and tribe and tongue and language. Heaven is bad news for the racist, because the person that they hate will be in heaven with them. Heaven is bad news for the snob because there will be poor people in heaven. Heaven is bad news for the person who has worked hard their whole life because lazy people will be in heaven. Heaven is bad news for those who committed ethnic genocide against a group of people and submitted and helped make that happen because they will be in heaven with those people. Let me put it a different way. Heaven is a bad place because if the person, if, if the person that you gossip about will be in heaven with you. The person that you slander will be in heaven with you. The person that you hate and hold bitterness in your heart will be in heaven with you. And yet when we get to heaven, there will be this one grand moment of reconciliation when we all join together into one community. It is a community that is marked by peace. It is a community that's marked by love. It's a community that is multi-ethnic in scope. When I was at Moody, uh, my undergrad, every fall we did a missions conference. And uh, there were international students from everywhere. And so on the first night of missions conference, we would sing this, only, if you're only churched, will this be interesting to you? It's that Newsboy song, Holy, holy, hallelujah reigns. Those of us that grew up at Northmar, actually, we experienced this a lot too. And so every person, the person from Britain would bring in the flag of the UK. The person from uh, New Zealand would bring in the New, Ze New Zealand flag and they would march down the aisles. And it was actually this pretty glorious picture of heaven because that's what heaven will be like, only we won't really remember our flags. Heaven is a bad place for a person who loves America because when we've been there 10,000 years, somebody will say America and everybody will say, what was that? I don't even remember. This is why you need to not worry about the election. Do you know what I'm saying? Heaven is a place where we are put into a community of multi-ethnic scope. And so we will find in heaven that we had more in common on earth with an African tribeswoman that doesn't speak our language than we ever had with an uncle of ours that doesn't believe in Jesus. Finally, in heaven, 
Justice finally wins out as God judges the wicked and the righteous and puts things to right. Scripture is pretty clear that there's this moment in front of the bema seat in which all people stand before Christ and give an account for their lives. This is actually a consistent hope in the Old and New Testament that we answer for the way that we live. Jesus says, the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory and with his angels, and then he will reward each person for what he has done. The Old Testament is pretty clear in a lot of its poetry that bad people get theirs at the end, so we don't need to worry about if bad people are doing, like, because the question we always have, right, is like, really bad people seem to get ahead okay. And so scripture says they're going to get theirs in the end, so you just be faithful now. In heaven, there is this mass moment in which justice is brought to right, where wicked, the wicked are brought to account for what they've done, and the righteous, on some level or another, are rewarded for their good deeds. In heaven, we will receive new bodies. In heaven, we will see justice. In heaven, we will be reconciled. And in heaven, we will have work to do. And so my question all the time now anymore is, why wait? Why wait? When we first preached, when we started preaching this series, um, somebody, a couple of you asked me, I think Jenna asked me, and so we actually answered this in a reconnect email, if heaven is so good, why don't we all just kill ourselves now and go? At which point I probably made a joke that I shouldn't have put on the internet, but I'm going to put on the internet a second time, you know, well, this is why we have the grape Kool-Aid in the back, you know, laced with arsenic, we'll see at the end. And, uh, and, and so our thought is, our thought is, if heaven is so good, why don't we kill ourselves now and get there? But actually, that's the wrong question. As I was preparing for this, I realized it's the wrong question. The right question is, if heaven is so good, why are we not doing everything in our power to bring heaven here now? If heaven is so good, why are we not doing everything in our power to bring heaven here now? Why aren't I doing everything I can to build a culture of heaven in ordinary places? Why am I not doing so that my work relationships and my family uh, and my parenting, uh, in my neighborhood, in all those places that I live and breathe and move and have my being, why am I not bringing heaven with me? Why am I not trying to make that a more heavenly place? Jesus came, and when he came, he repeated one phrase over and over and over again. He said, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus wasn't saying like, at some indeterminate time in the future, the kingdom's really gonna come, so just kind of be ready. What he meant was that with his presence and the presence of his people, you could step across one, just one step and find yourself no longer in earth, but in a culture of heaven. Uh, in Celtic mythology, uh, those of you that ever read King Arthur in middle school, there's this idea of thin places. That there's these places on the planet that you can accidentally stumble into the world of Fae. It's usually where there's oak and ash and thorn in the same place. The Celts believed that there were thin places everywhere, that one, these places where you could accidentally just stumble from one place into the next and what Jesus was saying is that in the presence of his people, there are thin places. In the presence of his people, we bring the kingdom of heaven to earth in the way that we love one another, the way that we practice hospitality and forgiveness, the way that we worship, the way that we live our lives, the way that we're, as Zach would say, generous with our love and inviting people to church, the way that we focus on the next person. We create a thin place, a place where heaven is breaking into earth by the way that we live. That is the vision for the church. The church is a forward embassy of, of heaven in that sense, that they're supposed to come into this place and a person is supposed to say, this must be a little bit 
of what heaven is like. And this is the very reason that Paul describes us as Christ's ambassadors. The only reason I know what an ambassador is is because I really like watching the West Wing. I'm on my like sixth run through because you know what? If you can't have the election you want, you can at least look at it on TV. Do you know what I'm saying? And so ambassadors are given the full faith and credit, the full faith and credit of, of the nation which they represent. And we have been endowed with the same full faith and credit of Jesus in our daily life so that we are his ambassadors. That text goes on to say, as if Christ were making his appeal through us. It's not as if, it's he is. When you talk to people, when you're at work and you point people to Jesus, which is not, again, for the love of Jesus, it is not, you're at the restaurant and the waiter says, do you want more water? And you say, did you know that Jesus is the living water and if you drink of him, you'll never be thirsty again? It's in the way that you live and love and forgive and yes, have honest conversations that ultimately makes it so that Christ is appealing through you because you're his ambassador. We're supposed to bring heaven with us. And so my question is again, why wait? If our mission is to interrupt people's lives with the love and grace of Jesus, then our vision surely is to create a culture of heaven in ordinary places. Which is why, by the way, we do things like a Summit Academy dinner. Because these kids who, who knows what they're going to have on Thursday, who knows what they're going go home to go home to on Wednesday, at least we can bring them into a space where they're safe and loved and cared for and the recipients of extravagant generosity. That smells like heaven. This is why we do check-ins and we send Shelby to Ecuador because that at least begins to create a culture of heaven in that little place when she's there. This is why we give to fuel the mission of Regen because we say we want this to be a place that feels like heaven to people and so we're gonna give so that we can have worship and buy mugs and do all of these things. All of it is connected. You and I can create a culture of heaven in ordinary places and so I just wanna tell you here's how and this is where we get to this idea of face-to-face with today. The first thing is that since we know that our bodies and we will have bodies eternally, it must mean that our bodies matter now. In the first like 300 years of Christian history, there was this movement within the church called, here's your fun word for the night, Gnosticism. And the Gnostics believed that the material did not matter. This was already a trend kind of within Greek philosophy at the time that the material was bad. And so your job was to kind of tamp down lust and natural desires and only care about the spirit. But we are not Gnostic. Jesus was raised to a body. We will be raised to a body. Evidently our bodies matter. So we're gonna take care of our bodies now. Paul says, don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God. Therefore you do not belong to yourself for God bought you with high price, so you must honor God with your body. Since our bodies will be with us eternally in some shape or form, we care for our bodies now. This is why Paul says that bodily exercise or discipline is of some value. Not all value, sorry, Zach, some value. Because we care for our bodies now. We'll talk later. And, like, and, 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 and we care for our bodies now, but at a deeper level too, this means that material needs aren't unimportant. This doesn't mean that all we're gonna do is find a person, make sure that they give them a gospel tract and they've said the sinner's prayer and we can move on regardless of if they're starving, don't have a home, are being sold into sex trafficking and have parents that abuse them. 
No, we say, hey, let's get you to know Jesus. And by the way, let's get you out of your parents' house, out of sex trafficking. If you're a refugee, we're going to give you a place of safety. We're going to give you something to eat. This is what the book of James is all about. If we want to create a culture of heaven in ordinary places, we meet material needs as well as spiritual ones. We meet material needs in a spiritual way. Because here's the deal. We're not just giving kids a plate of turkey on Tuesday afternoon when we have the Summit Academy dinner. We are the face of Jesus to them. We create a culture of heaven in ordinary places in that way. Second, as co-heirs who will reign with God forever, we work hard now. Rant, rant. There was this other idea in the early church that since Jesus could come back at any moment, people in the church in Thessalonica just quit working. They were like, Jesus is coming back? Awesome. They quit their jobs, and then after like a week, they ran out of food. And so they, seriously, I mean, really, come on. So then they like start calling Vanessa and they start calling the man Jerry's and we're like, hey, could we come over for dinner? And then this goes on for months and they're not really working and they're saying, hey, listen, we're the really spiritual ones. Jesus will come back any minute. We've quit our job, so we're ready. You're going to work every day. And everybody else is like, yeah, we have to work to pay for your sorry, you know what? You know what I mean? And so Paul actually says, this is the will of God for you, that you would work quietly with your own hands. There's dignity to our work because there will be work forever. It must have eternal value. It must have eternal value. This is why Paul says, by the way, interesting in Ephesians 6, work with enthusiasm as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will reward, will reward each one of us for the good we do, whether we are slaves or free. It's interesting that our heavenly reward is tied to how I handle my job tomorrow. And by the way, I don't get extra rewards because I have like a Christian job and because Anthony works at Firebirds, well, that just sucks for him. No, in fact, Luther said that our jobs were the face of God, that this is how God cares for and provides for the world. It's not magically, but we have food on our tables because some farmer in South Dakota that my wife grew up with is working his fanny off right now. Do you see what I'm saying? And so there's this really interesting story, Tolkien, who wrote The Lord of the Rings, actually it's not my favorite thing he ever wrote, he wrote a short story called Leaf by Niggle. Leaf by Niggle. And it's the story of a guy who uh, decided that he was going to paint a tree, and he had a vision in his mind of a mountainscape with hills and a river running around the hills, and there was this beautiful tree spreading its branches with deep roots into the stream, and he said, I'm going to paint this. And so he starts painting it, but it goes slow. Niggle is an English word that means I'm not really doing of anything. Niggling is what you do at work when you're supposed to be doing something and you're checking your email for the eighth time and your Facebook for the twelfth time. Niggling is what you're doing when you like have to, as my younger brother Connor does, has to go to the bathroom every eight minutes when we're doing household labor growing up. You know what I mean? Niggling is what, how you just kind of never really make any progress. And so Niggle is painting this and he kind of gets a leaf done, just one leaf. And then some neighbor of his gets sick, and so he's helping the neighbor out. And then he himself gets sick, and Niggle dies. And Niggle goes to heaven and is put into a carriage to be toured around the new heavens and the new earth. And they come around a bend, and there is a mountainscape. And hills, and a stream going around it, with the tree, and its branches, and its roots. And Niggle says there really is a tree. As an electrician, as teachers, as respiratory therapists, as anything that you do, there really is a, 
there really is a tree. There really is eternal consequence to what you say. And so Elizabeth Actemeyer says, God takes the little gifts of excellence and hope and faith that we have and the little contributions of beauty and, the, and that love, what we make, and he brings them all to perfection in a kingdom that will not pass away. He will bring your work to a perfection in a kingdom that will not pass away. And so we work hard now because Paul says you work as if you're working for the Lord, as if not for people. I believe I'm going to be working in the presence of Jesus for forever, but I'm also working in the presence of Jesus now. And so that has, con- that has something about the meaning of my work and the ethics of my work. Third, as a reunion and reconciliation is coming, we seek reconciliation with all people. Because we're going to spend eternity with people of all tribes, tongues, and nations, and skin colors, we seek reconciliation now. We seek to be reconciling agents now. And so there is no room for racism and classism and bigotry and snobbery in the people of Jesus. But at a deeper level, because the kingdom will have every tribe and tongue and nation, this is what propels us to send missionaries like Shelby to Ecuador. There's another couple among us that's going to be heading to Iraq in the winter, most likely. This is why we do this. Because we believe every trunk and type and nation is going to be there, and I think we have to help them get there. It's up to us to do something about that. When I was in high school, I was 14, and that's when I received my call to ministry. And the story is this. I was at a youth conference. I was in Phoenix. At the end of the conference, the speaker said, if there are any among you that has felt God calling them into ministry this week, would you come down front? And time stopped. God spoke to me in a voice that it was not audible. It didn't have to be audible for it to be heard. It was louder than audible. And I knew in that moment that I was seeing my whole life played out before me. And I could either join him like with the 60, 70 hour work week that I have in that work, or I could just live my ordinary life. And I just said, yes. So I said, I was going to go into the ministry. And in high school, I was in theater and I was in, I was in band and I was in choir, which is why Anybody that comes here from Lakeview, like, they're like, oh, do you remember me from high school? I'm like, no, I don't, because I did not care uh, about any of those things. I was a band nerd. Uh, I, I started, I actually started, I wanted to be a worship pastor. I wanted to do what Joey and Julia do. I wanted to do that professionally. And I was talking to somebody, and they said, um, and they themselves were somebody that led worship, and they said, you know, we're guaranteed that there's going to be music in heaven. We're not guaranteed how many people will be in heaven. It's going to be music in heaven. We're not guaranteed how many people will be in heaven. So he said, if I could do this over again, I would get into the work that we, I can help make sure there's more people in heaven. And that's why I chose to do what I do. We do what we do. We're generous with our invites. L- listen, this is so much more than about like regen becoming a bigger church. At the end of the day, pff, I don't care. Here's what I care about. Either the kingdom is bigger because of what we do or it's not. Either this space and place and our culture and what we do is a conduit through which you, using your gifts and talents and personality, can help people that you know connect with Jesus, and I think that's what's happening, or it doesn't. And if it doesn't, like, let's just quit and go home now because this is just an exercise in vanity and a waste of money. But if people are coming to know Jesus, then this is worth it. And so we seek reconciliation, not only in this racial societal way, but at a deeper way. Man, the people in my life that are far from Jesus are hugely important to me. This is not something to mess around with, which is why I've stopped praying for you and started praying for the people around you. 
which I would encourage you to do the same. So there's a reunion, so we seek reconciliation. We're going to work, so we work hard. We, we, uh, we're going to have bodies, so we meet material needs and care for our own bodies. Finally, in heaven, justice is given full reign, so we seek justice for the city now. Micah 6, 8, it's on that wall. He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? Since heaven is a place of total justice, we seek justice now. We see income inequality and we say no. We see kids, see, especially at the Grace Campus, we got kids we were having some conversations. Lindsay's on staff there. We're trying to build into our neighborhood there, and we're going to be inviting you to be a part of that over the next year as we become more regional. But you know what the number one need of, of McGuffey School, K-8, is they need somebody to help their third graders figure out how to become creative problem solvers. Because they read a three-paragraph thing, and then they have to come up with a two-paragraph response or something like that, and they can't do it. If you can't creative problem solve, you can never do anything. If you can't engage in conflict resolution, you can't do anything. If you can't, if you can't have interpersonal communication skills, you can't do anything. That's a justice issue. I don't want to just give them a Bible verse and smack them on the butt on the way they all go out the door. Good game. We'll see you next time. No, I want to care about the justice of things. I want to care about refugees. I want to care about, um, I want to care about uh, sex trafficking. I want to care about those things because if heaven is a place of social justice, the easiest way to create heaven on earth now is to make that kind of crap stop. This, by the way, then balances out a major problem in Christianity, which is you have two streams, and it's the, it's the social holiness and the personal holiness. And social holiness says, listen, it doesn't really matter if people love Jesus or even if I love Jesus as long as I'm doing good things, because that's what Jesus would say to do. But then the personal holiness people are like, well, we, we probably don't need to do good things. We got to make sure people love Jesus first. And then what happens is you're doing one or, one or the other. But heaven is the theology that links these things together. Heaven is the thing that links together social and personal holiness because my heart has to be right with God and I have to get people's hearts right with God while at the same time attending to their material and spiritual needs so that because this is what heaven is like. It is a place where justice and reconciliation happen, social holiness, but it is also a place where we come face to face with Jesus, personal holiness. This is what binds these things together in the history of the church. C.S. Lewis says that if you read history, you will find that the Christians who did most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next. Sometimes we talk about Christians like they're too, hev they're, they're, they're too heavenly minded to be any earthly good. Is that what we say? And Jesus has no clue what that means because, only, because truly heavenly minded people are of, of infinite earthly good. And if you are of no earthly good to anybody, this says that something about what you believe about heaven. Because either we have the opportunity to bring heaven to earth in the everythings that we do, or we don't. Either people smell heaven on us when we walk into the room, or they don't. Listen, people light up a room. Everybody lights up a room. Some just do it by leaving, and some do it by entering. We don't want to be the people that light up a room by leaving. We want to be the, light, the people that light up a room by entering because we bear with us the very light of heaven itself. Do you see what I'm saying? So let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you yourself brought heaven to us. I mean, that's what Christmas is all about, that you yourself 
true God of true God, light from light, begotten, not made, you brought heaven to us. Because in the beginning was the word, and the word was God, and the word was with God. You opened the door to us and gave us a taste of heaven, and now you invite us to share that with others. And so help us to do that faithfully. Jesus, we pray that you would give us grace uh, to um, bring heaven with us to work. God, we pray that you would bring heaven with us to our Thanksgiving meal, and please, Jesus, let us be heavenly people when somebody says something politically that we don't like. Jesus, please let us be heavenly people when somebody offends our mom or our aunt or our grandma or heck us. Help us to bring that with us this week, even in these meals that we're going to share. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.